0: This is Michael Cohen and you're listening to the Mea Culpa podcast, Week in Review. So much has already happened this week that it makes my brain hurt. The New York Times story on Trump's history of tax evasion and financial engineering dropped like a bomb on Sunday and quickly sucked the oxygen out of the news cycle for anything else to breathe, unless your name is Brad Parscale. For Brad, his troubles are just beginning.
1: Fort Lauderdale police arrived at Parskell's house in the afternoon yesterday when his wife alerted authorities that he was armed, has access to multiple firearms, and was threatening to harm himself. Hey, get on the ground, man. Get on the ground! Get on the ground, man! Get on the ground, man. Jesus! Get on the ground, I didn't
0: do anything! I didn't do anything! I didn't do anything! I guarantee you that he received a target letter from the federal government. And let me tell you, getting that letter means your life is about to get turned upside down. But in the case of Pascal, we're seeing the chickens come home to roost in a major way. There's also the report from the UK investigation into Cambridge Analytica that Pascal and his team weaponized Facebook to deliberately suppress African-American voter turnout.
1: Now, this is not Trump country, but four years ago, tens
0: of thousands of normally Democratic supporting black voters just didn't turn out for Hillary Clinton. And now we can reveal for the first time that many of them
1: had been identified and targeted by the Trump campaign and its supporters. Their aim, not to win their votes it seems, but to get them to stay
0: at home on election day. Now back to the Bombshell Times report. Could this finally be the beginning of the end? Will the entire House of Cards soon crumble and fall? For many of us, the mere sight of the Teflon Don preening in front of the cameras like some Cheeto-dusted cartoon villain would be comical if the consequences weren't so dire. Instead, the mere sight of him on our screens, along with the sound of his brain voice spewing lies and hate, is enough to send even the kindest of us into paroxysms of rage. Yes, I'm the Frankenstein that helped create the monster, so I'm aware of the blatant hypocrisy of my pronouncements. But I don't care. Where I was once blind, now I can see, and the sight of Donald J. Trump makes me sick to my very core. Yet this week, I sensed that the worm was turning. The New York Times bombshell report on Trump's taxes has cracked the facade revealing that the emperor has no clothes and the receipts to prove it. I'm not going to rehash the substance of the story here. Rather, here are some highlights from the cable news frenzy that ensued after the Times dropped its story.
1: All right, well, the New York Times yesterday began publishing that series of reports that examine 20 years' worth of the president's tax returns, revealing financial losses in the millions. Trump
0: has over $420 million in outstanding loans that are coming due. Trump fraudulently inflated the value of his properties in order to receive favorable terms from lenders, only then to underreport their value for tax purposes. Instead, I'll walk you through what this all means for Donald J. Trump, and more importantly, how this all feels for Donald J. Trump. Let's not underestimate the importance of Donald Trump's feelings. This country is run to a degree by his tantrums, and despite his claims to have the world's thickest skin, I know that to be a lie. The man is a gigantic baby. So the Times piece, by striking at the very core of his sense of self, will have sent him into an existential rage. And that is something terrible to witness. In my book, Disloyal, I talk a great deal about Trump's volcanic temper, along with his various meltdowns. Watching it happen in real time is like watching the possessed exercise of a demon. His eyes were shut, his lips pursed, and his face turns blood red. Then he starts shouting and spitting, completely out of control. I can imagine that this Times story sent him into some place beyond rage. You can tell by his fairly muted response. While quick to lambast the story as fake news, there's been very little denial from Trump or his surrogates about the substance and details of what was inside the piece.
1: It's totally fake news. Made up, fake. We went through the same stories. You could have asked me the same questions four years ago. I had to litigate this and talk about it. Uh, totally fake news. Actually, I paid tax.
0: It truly is a bravara piece of reporting, a Pentagon Papers for our time, and one of the first pieces to do material damage to Donald Trump's myth as it shows how he makes and sells the sausage. There's too much evidence at hand for an outright denial And they know it.
1: We've seen this play out before. Tax information or purported tax information dropping on the eve of a debate. Uh, They tried this in 2016. It didn't work. They need to get a little more creative in their strategy as we move forward to 2020 because it didn't work out too well for them last time around.
0: Instead, you'll see Trump and his surrogates begin to lean in to the story and spin Trump as the tax avoider. After all, who doesn't want to avoid taxes? Don't blame him for your inadequacies. I think Eric and Don Jr. have already picked up on this line of idiocy on behalf of their father. It's also word for word what Roy Cohn told Mike Wallace just before his own downfall. So first of all, I have paid an astronomical amount of taxes. I guarantee you, I have paid more taxes than any of the last three presidents of the United States
1: added up together. I probably hold the world's record of never having had a completed audit by Internal Revenue Service for over 20 years.
0: For Trump though, it's a repudiation of his entire image as a dealmaker and business titan. It's him admitting that the narrative which propelled him to the White House, one way he was the self-made and self-saved mogul, as the Times said, was in reality a lie. He's supposed to be the financial wizard with the Midas touch, but that's all been stripped away. The Times shows that it was pure invention and that Mr. Trump's genius, it turned out, wasn't running a company, it was making himself famous and monetizing that fame, says the Times. He marketed that image, though, to millions of Americans who bought his Trump steaks slept on Trump mattresses, or downloaded Trump ringtones. And he made millions of dollars targeting economically vulnerable people to enlist in his Trump university and seminars, offering a shortcut to millions based on his supposed business savvy. Want the secret to making more money than you ever thought possible? Then plan to attend a free Trump U introductory class coming to your area. For the first time ever, Donald Trump brings his years of real estate experience
1: straight to you. We teach success. That's what it's all about. Success. It's going to happen to you.
0: All told, between profits from The Apprentice and marketing his image and licensing his name on the back of The Apprentice success, Trump pulled in $427 million. Excuse me, but that's a fuck ton of money. You know how much is left? Nothing. Trump squandered the whole thing on a string of golf courses and other properties for which he paid cash. In addition, he's personally guaranteed other loans totaling $479 million, and they're about to come due. Now on top of that, he owes the federal government another $300 million in taxes and penalties. He's facing the real prospect of bankruptcy and possibly even prison, and thus, his desperation to remain in power, and his willingness to use any means necessary to do so. Let's go now to Forbes Magazine investigative journalist, Dan Alexander, author of White House Inc., who long before the New York Times cracked Donald Trump's tax returns, was probing the myriad of conflicting interests and criminality that had defined his term in office. He's currently a senior editor at Forbes, covering Donald Trump exclusively for the magazine, and is in charge, twice yearly, of estimating the president's wealth for the magazine's iconic list of America's wealthiest individuals. His book is a landmark investigative expose that details President Trump's efforts to make money off of politics, taking us inside his exclusive clubs, luxury hotels, overseas partnerships, commercial properties, and personal mansions. Alexander tracks hundreds of millions of dollars flowing freely between big businesses and President Trump. He explains in plain language how Trump tried to translate power into profit from the 2016 campaign to the ramp up of the 2020 campaign. So big picture, what does the New York Times piece for Sunday do to the larger
1: Trump narrative? I thought that the most revealing thing about the story was When you know what the operating profit is of these businesses, because it's filed in SEC documents and with local tax authorities and from Trump's partners, and you compare those numbers to the numbers that he's listing as his taxable income on the returns, uh, the discrepancy is amazing and large. And the reporting of how they got there, how you turn a business that's worth something that does throw off cash and make it look like it's just hemorrhaging money Uh, showing almost no profits or huge losses in some years for the financial trickery to get there was pretty stunning to see up close.
0: The Times speaks of $472 million in outstanding loans that are to come due in
1: the next few years. Trump's full amount of debt is much, much higher than that. He owes over a billion dollars to creditors. And this isn't conjecture. We have all of it documented. You know, just on his two most valuable properties, twelve ninety Avenue of the Americas and five 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 California Street, where he owns a thirty percent interest in each of them, and that that thirty percent interest is worth more than anything else in his portfolio. If you just look at those two properties, which he owns in in partnership with Vornado, which is publicly traded, and so they list the amount of debt on those buildings in their regular quarterly filings, his thirty percent chunk of that alone is four hundred and forty eight million dollars, and then you add on. Things like the the mortgage in Washington, D.C., which was a $170 million note. You add on two mortgages in Doral, which add up to $125 million. You add on the $100 million loan against Trump Tower. The numbers get very big very quickly, and ultimately it comes to more than a billion dollars. Who does he owe this money to,
0: and how does it add to the necessity that he remains in office?
1: There are some additional questions if he is in office you know, and you have to refinance and take out a massive loan from a large bank, you know, that poses uh, new conflicts concerns. And same with if you're selling properties, you know, for hundreds of millions of dollars, that also causes new conflicts concerns. Who are the banks who are willing to do this? Why are they willing to do this? What interests do they have before the administration? And then on the sales side, who are the people who are interested in putting hundreds of millions of dollars of cash into the Trump empire? to help him out at a desperate time. And if you add all of that picture together, sure, there's a lot of pressure, regardless of whether you're in office or not. In fact, in some ways, being in office might add to some of the pressure, or at least certainly the conflicts. You know, Trump admitted uh, in a radio interview that he has a huge conflict of interest in Turkey. And uh, so he's on the record saying that before he becomes president. Then he becomes president and, of course, he maintains the business while he's taking office and that obviously leads to questions about uh, you know, how he might treat that particular country differently. There are other instances in which it looks like countries are using his financial ties to make inroads to the president. So for example, shortly before he was elected, the leader of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte, appointed Trump's business partner to be quote-unquote special envoy to the United States. So all of these—and then if he's elected, and then he keeps that business while he's in office. So all of these tentacles provide entry points for people if they want to uh, create a conflict for him. And they also provide something for him to think about when he's making decisions about these countries.
0: And now for the main event. Last night's debate wasn't quite the bruising Ali-Frazier main event I was anticipating. It was more like something from WrestleMania.
1: The hostile takeover of Donald Trump on this
0: man, with Trump's own brand of toxic MAGA masculinity distilled into 90 minutes of lies, gaslighting, and grievance.
1: I'm not going to answer the question. Why not answer that because question? Because the question is the question is justice radical question, left. Will you shut up, your, man. Listen, who is on your list, Joe?
0: As is his wont. Trump mostly controlled the evening, leaving Biden with long stretches of time where he said nothing at all. But that doesn't mean Trump won the night. It just meant that he was once again the loudest voice in the room. Much of the evening was marked with his shouting over Vice President Biden and steamrolling Chris Wallace while attempting to muddy the waters on his record. Wait a minute, you
1: get the final word, Mr. Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. Excuse me, this Hey, hey this let person. me just say to you. No, 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 I'm no. Mr. President. And
0: what was evident, though, and made for a truly electric evening, was that the two men truly did not like one another. Granted, Trump likes no one other than himself, so that's not unusual. But Biden's contempt and disgust for the president was palpable from the moment he spoke.
1: You're the the worst president America has ever had, come on.
0: Biden may not have controlled the evening, but I do believe he was able to speak from his heart to the American voters and to show the difference between the two candidates. People may not love Joe Biden, he's no Barack Obama, but he knows that and quoted his father, reminding voters to not compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. In the end, though, CNN's Jake Tapper summed up the evening best by saying the following. That was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. An unhinged and fast-talking ABC News hit by Don Jr. prior to the bait caused Twitter to erupt once again with accusation that he was high on cocaine. With Raw Stories David Edwards writing, how much coke did Don Jr. snort? Let's go to the tape on that one and listen.
1: You know, I'm not so worried about the two hours of a debate or a 90 minute debate. I'm worried about the other 22 hours of the day where Joe seems to struggle, where he's on a teleprompter. I mean, he hasn't had to campaign the same way. I mean, I know people, honestly, George, running for a first grade class president that have spent more time campaigning than Joe Biden has for president of the United States. This comes
0: on the heels of his much mocked RNC speech, where it appeared that he and his girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle, had hit the bag together in the green room
1: ladies and gentlemen leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty the best
0: is yet to
1: come I started doing this trending thing uh,
0: donald trump jr's own cocaine and all that i said no, i can't no, no. answer to the affirmative on either but don just go hunting your father's never going to love you no matter how much you lie for him now for chris wallace the man was as terrible as everyone predicted Trump simply pummeled Wallace, who lost control of the proceedings almost from the get-go.
1: Part of Obamacare. Chris, You're that was the worst him, part of Obamacare. Let me ask my question. Well,
0: Compare his performance to Megan Kelly's four years prior, and there's no contest. Now, granted, there really is no controlling Donald Trump, and he was intent on being as disruptive as possible.
1: Oh, That's the end of the segment. We're, mo- we're moving on. He
0: didn't take them. Well, Vice a, President, I, Chris, no. Can I, I be
1: honest? It's I, a very important question. Try to question. be honest. No, up. No, I, I, up. the answer to the question is no. Ukraine, it, no, I, sir, Ukraine, sir. With a billion dollars, if you that get rid is, of it, you absolutely absolutely not true. You're, you're doing. It. You're going to have
0: true, gentlemen. Let me make this crystal clear. Chris Wallace sucks. Did he not know who he was dealing with? You don't let Donald Trump run the table. You give the gorilla an inch, and he shits all over the cage. The man needs to be replaced. Maybe we should bring back Megyn Kelly, who famously controlled the Donald four years prior. She drove him insane, and I was tasked with cleaning up his erratic behavior. Here's a recording of my exchange with then Vice President of Fox News Bill Shine. That, that he's not going to get something he wanted, and then we're, you know, we're just over. Um, you know, if, if he could, if he could drop this apology thing, and then somebody says to him later on, "Well, are they, what are they going to apologize?" And, and then he could say, "Well, listen, I said that, but look." you know i'm not going to force them to do it It'd be nice if they did but uh, but i doubt they're going to which is why i wanted to speak with you this morning um, and to go over what we had spoken about over the weekend which is putting together a a format for the, that the two of them are supposed to be able to live with right and yep. that, that's what I was expecting to do, you know, this morning. I mean, I got in the office at about 7.40 this morning. Yeah. Um, you know, and I put down a whole bunch of thoughts on paper. And, you know, after speaking with um, with Roger over the weekend, uh, I was under the impression that we were um, kind of in the same... Uh, what do you call it? We were in the same no, We in the same direction. I right. totally agree with you. And, you know... This, and and again, it, it, with no disrespect to you know to Peter, um, you know it, it's. I'm a lawyer. You're a lawyer, right? And actually, I'm not a lawyer. Oh. I'm a scummy TV producer. Oh well. Um, sorry to hear that. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I thought everybody were lawyers today. <laughs> you know, um, my my thought was we were gonna work this out, um, in order to rebuild a friendship, a 30 plus year friendship between the two of them. And that this thing doesn't go nuke um you know and that's why i just thought it was so important for the two of us to sit down and if you saw some of the notes that i made you'd understand that i'm on the same page that you are as a journalist she clearly cannot come out with a formal apology right um that that would that wouldn't be advantageous to you know to her career right um But there are ways to talk around it. Um, You could certainly acknowledge that maybe the timing of the question may not have been great. Um, Maybe there was a different way that it could have been posed. But, you know, she'll acknowledge it's a fair question to ask. Which one of your sycophantic assholes is going to clean up your mess this time, Mr. President? Biden still managed to get in some choice shots on Trump when in reference to his dodging of taxes in the New York Times article, with Biden finally shouting over Trump, you're the worst president we've had.
1: You're the the worst president America has ever had, come on.
0: And in the evening's best blow, Biden unleashed a haymaker in regards to his reverence for Vladimir Putin, which seemed to land hard.
1: He's Putin's puppy. He still refuses to even say anything to Putin about the bounty on the heads of American soldiers.
0: This predictably caused Trump to lose his cool and unleash the slime. In the most telling portion of the evening, Trump refused to denounce white supremacy and instead blew his racist dog whistle.
1: Stand back and stand by. Did we just
0: witness the president deliver a call to action to his racist supporters? Instead, Trump retreated to his favorite boogeyman, Antifa. But Biden was quick to counter that Antifa was more of an idea than some radical vanguard set on destroying the suburbs. All of this was on the heels of terrifying report from the FBI on the growth of white supremacist terror groups infiltrating law enforcement and poised to strike communities of color in the run-up to the election. The debates were supposedly a chance for Trump to change the dynamic of the race and make his case to the American voters on why they should overlook his gross inadequacies as a leader and grant him four more years. The best case he could make was a babbling reminder to his base about judges.
1: By the end of this term, 300
0: judges, it's a record. And perhaps my favorite of all, his dubious claim that he brought back football. I'm the one that brought back football. By the way, I brought back Big Ten (laughs) football. It was me, and I'm very happy to do it. What happened here was a stark reminder of the choice we had to make on November 3rd. Trump, though, in his willingness to shamelessly lie and cajole, was breathtaking to watch in action. He's like some new species of post-literate hominid where the words that come out of his mouth are not coming from his speech center, but directly from his id, bypassing that which governs truth or rational thought. Rather, the Trump brain is a sewer of grievance, anger, and racial invective. To watch his performance before the cameras this evening was to sense your own brain being sheep dipped in shit. It's nauseating and America truly deserves better. Thanks for listening and make sure to tune in Monday for an honest and revealing conversation about Melania Trump with Stephanie Winston-Wolkoff, former Melania's best friend forever and author of the scathing Melania and Me. It chronicles not only her relationship with the First Lady, but her up-close look at the toxic swamp that defined the early Trump administration. For the first time, we'll peel back the careful mask worn by Melania to show you the heartless, Machiavellian partner of the America's liar-in-chief. Learn what it's like to have to sleep with Donald J. Trump. And finally, new explosive never-before-heard recordings of Melania. Hear all of this only on Mea Culpa. Monday, October 5th.
1: This is my